Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Botmock. Botmock is a voice prototyping tool and it is if you're looking for, if you're either, if you're just getting into voice or if you've been into voice for quite a while and you're looking at the tool set that you use and you're looking for something that will enable you to have a decent quick workflow and what Botmock does that's unique to, to Botmock from what I've seen from all of the other tools of available is it allows you to collaborate on the design within the tool so you don't have to necessarily you know have all of your post-it notes all scattered across the wall and work on that until you've got something that is you know as good as it can be and you take feedback from people and then you put it into your prototype tool you can start prototyping you can invite your team to it they can make comments on it similar to you would make comments on a word document by highlighting some text and sticking a comment in there so it's a really good collaborative tool that will literally take you from ideation right through to an end product prototyped um, Amy our guest today actually makes some pretty positive comments about Botmock throughout the episode so it is being endorsed right here by Amy Stapleton our guest today do check it out you can go uh, and get a free trial if you go to botmock.com slash V-U-X world that's B-O-T-M-O-C-K dot com slash V-U-X world Today's episode, I mentioned our guest in the the intro there. We are speaking to Amy Stapleton of Tellables. Amy, ex-NASA, talk about brains, ex-NASA, currently uh, founder of Tellables, been building skills since about 2016, and we're going to be talking all about Amy's experience in skill building, Amy's design choices, and, and some of the uh, considerations and challenges that she faced creating her latest skill, Chocolate Box, um, and we're going to, well, my box of chocolates rather, and we're going to get into some real detail uh, around some of these uh, design decisions, some of the technical challenges, and some of the tooling challenges as well, actually. Uh, we're talking about situational design, we're talking about uh, using, choosing to use the Amazon Poly Voices rather than recording your own audio or getting voice actors in to, to do your own audio. We're going to be talking about challenges around uh, the interaction model uh, and all around navigation, understanding where you are within the experience, how to get people to return to the experience, uh, content management, a whole load of interest and stuff. You're going to absolutely love this. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm obviously joined by Dustin Coates, as I am each week in the hot seat doing the co-hosting we're chatting to amy stapleton of tellables and this is vux world vux world vux world vux world vux world branding with the big faces i love listening to it kane sims kane sims the one and only britain's finest mr kane sims dustin 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 coach i like it when you guys are together and talking about boys without further ado Amy Stapleton, welcome to VUX World. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. You were there's there's a couple of people who we've had. I think we've had a few of them on the podcast, but there's there's like a handful of people who were the first people that are kind of come across when first starting VUX World and first kind of looking out for like who's who's actually building stuff in in voice. Do you know what I mean? And Tellables. I'm pretty sure I'll have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure that Tellables is one of the first companies that are followed on Twitter. Oh wow! So there That's you go. An honor. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So you've been doing you've been doing voice for for a couple of years now, then. 
Yeah. So, you know, my story is that I, I was working at NASA as an IT manager and then I was able to retire early. So at the end, the end of 2015, I was already planning to do stuff with, with voice and the timing was good because, you know, Amazon had already come out with the Alexa device. So we launched our first skill like in early 2016. So we got kind of a, an early jump and then the tricky genie skill, which is our most popular one that, that was um, like the spring of 2016. So again, it was, you know, good timing. Cool. And Dustin, you had the pleasure of meeting Amy at the Alexa conference recently. Yeah, it was a, it was a great pleasure. Uh, you know, we've, we've been chatting on email and it's good to, to meet in person. It's good with these voice conferences where you see people where you go, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's who that is. Now I'll actually see them in person and, and got to share a lot of knowledge as well. So I think that's another benefit of these conferences too. Cool. So Amy, you did, you did a talk over there. Yeah, so I did a talk about um, Alexa, using Alexa for storytelling, and I also enjoyed Dustin's talk on the uh, the, the search, the, the voice search stuff, so I'm anxious to try some of that out and some of my skills too. <laughs> so, weird kind of shift, is it not then, from, from NASA presumably doing some form of rocket science or something like that <laughs> over to over to storytelling and voice what 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 was all that about what was what made you kind of kind of focus on on voice and, and start telebos and, and go all in on 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 voice well you know i got my degrees like in english and german language and literature and stuff so my background is more humanities i've always been interested in in writing and storytelling um shifted into a technology career because that's just kind of like how things how things happened for me and how I was able to make my money. Uh, so NASA, I was actually helping with their enterprise applications. I have a background in SAP and they were in implementing SAP financial management software. So that's kind of what happened. But um, I, in 2013, I think I started going to like speech tech conferences and looking to see what was coming out in the future. And I saw Jibo, and I thought, hey, you know, a personality like that is really going to need stories to tell. So I thought that would be an interesting thing to do when I, you know, when I retired. And um, again, like I said, the timing was good because the Alexa device was launched, I guess, in uh, what was it, 2014? It was available in 2015. So we could already start playing around with that. So it's a perfect, really, you know, device to try this storytelling stuff out on the interactive stories and just see what works and what doesn't work. I mean, I'm still kind of waiting for more of a of a social robot type thing to come around. Um, the fact that Alexa is inside the smart speaker and she's not a real personality makes it a little bit more difficult to see her as a storyteller but i think that's going to involve and that's the kind of stuff that i'm interested in you know exploring mm. didn't wasn't jibo something like that jibo doesn't exist anymore does it well i think they announced that they're they pretty much closed down i mean they got a lot of funding um it was it was a very ambitious project because it, it was a, it was a um something like alexa you know it could it could understand and, and, and speak and it had its own voice, but it was also, it had motion and a face and in order to program for it, you had to do not just the, the, um, you know, the interaction, but also the, the animatronics and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I, I think with, with Amazon coming in with the Alexa device and then, you know, Google assistant and all that, it just, people weren't willing to pay like $800 for this robot that kind of did stuff, but didn't do anything nearly as well as, as Alexa. <laughs> 
Are, are there other assistants with faces that are on your radar right now? You know, to be honest with you, I, I kind of stopped following that because I just got so disappointed. You know, you'd go to CES and then you'd see these robots. I mean, um, one was like Mayfield, I think, had one, although I didn't really talk, but they got a lot of press and they just don't, you know, they're, they just don't ever get to the next level because to have that personality and then be able to speak to it and, and have it respond in a meaningful way, like you're expecting when you see something with a face, it's just not there yet. I was just going to ask if you two have seen those hotel robots that I think they're primarily in Asia now, but they bring your food to to your door and I think they have a little face as well. Uh, I don't know if they have a voice component, but that may be, may be the future of interactive storytelling, uh, robots straight to your door to tell you a story. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, the, it's weird because the companies that are actually doing the most innovative stuff in this space are really like digital signage companies. So they have, they have the digital signage products that they've embedded in, in like a robot. I mean, um, I guess Pepper is the best example, although it's not really digital signage. But if you look at Pepper, it has a screen and it has the, the voice recognition and the speech. So it's very close to what the state of the art is, but it's, it's still not, you know, it's not really selling. So it doesn't, you can't really, it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend time and money doing stories for it because not many people have it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on? Um, so I think Pullstring, uh, Oren Jacobs started out doing this, making toys that have a voice component. And I think on on one of the episodes of um, the VoiceBot podcast, there was kind of like a rundown of some of the things that come out of CES. And there was someone talking there around this toy, like a it was like a kid's teddy with a screen and a voice assistant and all that sort of stuff. And you were saying about you know you what originally interested you and in, in, in all that stuff was around robots telling stories. Does that interest you at all? The concept of like either kids' toys or, or whatnot with voice assistants built into them? Yeah, definitely. And as a matter of fact, you know, the the Hello Barbie that was done by the, um, I guess it was b- before it was even pull string, it was still Toy Talk. It got a lot of bad press and it's about three three or four years old now. But if, but if you used it, it was actually a really interesting device. That, and that's exactly what I'm talking about is you had... Um, you had the the Barbie doll, and so the, the let's say you know the young girl that's playing with it has the feeling that she's talking to a real person, and that doll would engage her in different types of conversations and ask her what does she want to be when she grew up and tell her stories in a, in, in a conversational way that was really effective and it was hard to do. And I haven't th- seen anything like that since then i think it was very innovative and and i guess in a way i'm trying to do something similar with with alexa um my, the only difference is that my vision is to have a an open platform where i can take stories from from dif- different authors and then make them available within the context of a live skill that tellables has already published so that's kind of like the next step in what we're doing is i think that a voice assistant um or a a storytelling personality is a, is a good way to get stories by other authors out there, you know, give, give authors that are kind of underserved um, a platform for, for their stories to be heard. Have you got a particular sort of target market? We're going to get into the, to the technicalities of your kind of skill building. And, and uh, so for those listening, we are going to get into some real technical detail coming up to put that into context. Do you have, a target market for the the stories that you create is it is it is it 
targeted at children? Is it targeted at kind of like older adults? Is it targeted kind of somewhere? And have you got have you got a target market, or are are they stories for for everyone? I think it's kind of both, and in in a way, I, there are target markets that have approached me that say, "Hey, you know, we really like to have this this community storytelling um, experience in like an uh, an." a senior community. And then I've also had teachers say, hey, we'd really like to have this kind of open platform where, you know, kids can create their own stories and then hear them as part of this experience. And and then I've had authors that like to write flash fiction um, for just a general audience say, hey, you know, we'd love to get some of our, our flash fiction stories into your box of chocolates concept. So I think the idea kind of resonates across the board, but we would probably need to create like a separate skill or at least, you know, separate boxes of chocolate assortments aimed at different, different audiences because everybody likes a different type of story. So tell us a little bit more about the, the box of chocolates then. This is the latest skill you've been working on. Right. So the concept was to have the the, the, the framework of the interaction designed so that it's out there, it's live, but it's extensible in the sense that um, every month we add new content. And so the way we designed it is that we have a box of chocolates. It's a virtual chocolate box with 12 individual candies in it every month. Um, we, we actually create a little image for each of the candies and they're kind of whimsical because the stories right now are more like funny stories. So you can see the picture of the candy on your Echo Show or in your Alexa um, skill card as you listen to the story. And then you can obviously you can hear the story. And afterwards, there's like a little interaction where Alexa makes a comment and then she asks you a question and then she has a, a response based on on how you respond to the story. And um, we've even incorporated kind of a a party game into it where she'll send a like a truth or dare question at the mm-hmm. end of each story so that you can take turns kind of answering the question or whatever. So it's um, it's it's got a lot built into it, but but the idea is that it's really every month it's like an anthology of stories. But if you think about it in a voice first world or a voice only world, it's difficult to have to present like twelve stories and then have people. Um, give them the ability to choose a story and then also give them the ability to go back and hear a story that they've heard once again or tell somebody about that story. So that's kind of why we came up with the the chocolate concept. And I also just like the idea of saying, hey, Alexa, open my box of chocolates because I think it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so was was that was that choice? So correct me if I'm wrong, but it's so the box of chocolate concept is that the uh, metaphor is that all of the stories are stored within a box of chocolates and they've all got kind of like chocolatey names haven't they like the praline punch or, or, or what have you there's lots of different like chocolate based names I, I should know miles more than this because I love chocolate I shouldn't I should be able to just reel them off like that um so and then you mentioned that you release new ones every month so do you start the start of the month with a full box of chocolates and then release a whole new box of chocolates the month after? Or do you start with three chocolates, three stories, and then throughout the month you release more? How does it? How does your kind of rollout work? So the way it works now is um, every month, as long as we can, you know, kind of keep up, we have, we release the entire box of 12. And if, and each box has like a beginning date and an expiration date. 
So if you, like, let's say you've never used the, the skill before and you say, um, like this month, which is January, you say, Alexa, open my box of chocolates. She'll bring you the current box and you'll, you'll go into that, the January box and she'll give you an opportunity to hear what's in the box. And then you can work your way through all 12 chocolates. If you run out of chocolates and you're waiting for the February box, if you haven't already listened to some older boxes, like there is one, there was one for December, that was the first one, then she'll automatically offer you the opportunity to open up that older box and you can listen to those stories while you're waiting. So again, if you if you don't listen to the skill until February, the first box you'll, you'll be presented with is the February assortment and then you'll be able to go back and listen to the, the January assortment and the December assortment. But at any point in time, like assume that you're an author and you have one of your stories in the December box, you can always go back and ask for that, that candy specifically. You can either open assortment one by asking Alexa to open assortment one, or you can just say, hey, Alexa, um, get me the extra sticky caramel truffle, which happens to be one of the candies and the stories in the first box. And so in order to kind of aid the whole process, we, we list the, the assortments with all the candies on our website. And the thought mm-hmm. is that if the people are like really get into this, then they could go onto the website and they can actually print out a PDF that, that lists out what all the, the candy names are for that particular assortment. And that must be that must be interesting. Releasing these uh, the first of every month, uh, the new stories. What does that usage data look like? Is everyone uh, eating all the chocolates in one sitting and and doing that, or are they savoring it over the month? Um, you know, to be honest with you, there's not that many people using it right now. And looking at the usage data, a lot of people stop after one or two candies. I think again, the fact that we're we're doing something a little bit different. We're also using the poly voices. It doesn't necessarily appeal to everybody. Um, and I think a lot of people probably see my box of chocolates and they open it, not knowing it, not knowing that it's going to be like a storytelling thing because, you know, you don't naturally associate chocolates with stories. So they might not continue on. But um, in my experience for that, audience that really enjoys the stories, they do tend to listen to multiple stories at once. And then, you know, they'll, they'll stop and they'll come back and, and finish the box. But I think we're still trying to, you know, figure out who the, who the, the right types of listeners are for this type of thing. You, you talked about the poly voices and how that's not for everyone. What do you mean by that? I think that the statistics or the research shows that most people that listen to a story right now from a smart speaker, they really want to hear it in a human narrated voice. Um, Our stories are very short. I mean, they're, I say they're very short. They're, they're usually 90 seconds or less, a little bit less than a minute and a half, but still you have to kind of be in the, in the, the right mindset for that. We, we use the poly voices for a number of different reasons, but I want people to have the, the, the sense that they're not, listening to like a, uh, you know, a streaming audiobook. I want them to feel like they're having a conversation. And so we've also created these characters for our chocolatiers and we've given each of the chocolatiers a voice. So whenever you hear that, that specific voice, hopefully over time, you'll relate it to that, that chocolatier. But I, but I think in general, when people hear the poly voices and they, they think, okay, it's a story, it could be a bit of a turnoff. Hmm. Are you Going in there and with the SSML changing up the the voices, the prosody or the rate or anything? Yes and no. I mean, we spend the 
actually quite a bit of time working on the stories to use phraseology that kind of works with the with a voice and we mm-hmm. do some markup but I but I try to make it um, you know the, the more markup you have in there with changing pitch and everything it sometimes it just doesn't it doesn't sound good mm-hmm. so it, it would be inter- interesting to see if people listen to the voices that you know they can give me some feedback and if they think the stories are, uh, are good or not I mean we use like basically three or f- three of the um, the U.S. voices. We're using one of the the U.K. voices right now, and then we, you know, we may add some some voices later. But it's the the stories are also supposed to be funny, and to ha- to do a punchline or something that's like funny in that poly voice is really hard. So we a lot of times we just have to try and try and try to find like the last sentence that's really going to have a punch where you know it might make you laugh or whatever. But it's it's a bit of a struggle. Be interesting to know if there's any. You said that people tend to like to hear a real human voice. Is there, is there any sort of data behind that? Do you know if there's any studies being done on on people's preference in terms of how what kind of voices are used on on their voice assistants? I personally don't have any any of the data. I know that Amazon. Um, you know, I've talked to them a bunch of times about it, and they they swear up and down that there's a there's much higher engagement for skills that have human voices as opposed to the poly or the Alexa voice and for their, for their kid directed skills. Like if you wanted to license content to Amazon for free time, they, they don't want you to use text to speech voices. I mean, like only in the rarest circumstances. So um, it's, you know, we're, we're going down a path that that most people that are in storytelling probably aren't going down anymore, but I'm doing that because I just feel like uh, it's, when, when you're having a conversation with Alexa, which is one of the things we're trying to do with, with the story skill, I mean, you actually are having a, a mini discussion with her after the story. You don't really want to mix the human narrated stories and the Alexa voice. And it's just, you know, that's, that's kind of a weird mixture. Mm. Some do, some do it well though, don't they? I mean, yes, Saya is a good example of where you can use the, you know, the machine generated voice and still have something that's, that's a really good experience. Yeah, well, you think about Yes Sire and our Tricky Genie skill are both kind of contemporary. I mean, we they came out maybe about the same time. Tricky Genie may have been even a little earlier. And it is interesting because Tricky Genie continues to be very popular and we only use Alexa's voice in that skill. Mm. So I, I do think, but again, the Yes Sire and the Tricky Genie, they're not really storytelling skills, right? I mean, Tricky Genie is more like a little critical thinking game that's really fast. You can do it like in two minutes. And Yes Sire is also kind of more of a strategy game. Um, it's not like an immersive thing. The the box of chocolates is really more of a, you know, put your feet up, pour yourself a cup of tea, listen to a story that's going to take a minute and a half, and then try to kind of relate to the story or share it with your, you know, you're in a discussion with your friends or whatever. So that really is more of a classic storytelling thing. Mm. And you had so we've got a few things to discuss. One of them, so the the concept of using the the text to speech voices. I mean, to be honest, for those of you that haven't tried it, try it out because, and I'll try and see maybe see if I can take some whip some of the the audio snippets out to play to give people an idea of of the the different voices that are used because there is diversity in there. It's not like you, it's not like there's a monotonous same voice all the time. It's every story is told in a different voice, and it's it, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of different sort of styles and stuff, isn't there? So it's not like, um, I don't know, it's 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 not kind of blatantly obvious that it's a 
you know, a standard Alexa skill kind of thing. It, 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 it's still unique and it uses a lot of different voices. Um, but what about the, you were saying in terms of the, the way that you kind of designed it was based on around a box of chocolates and hoping to try and help people maybe navigate things a bit easier. Because I think we spoke, um, Dustin, do you remember when we spoke to Georgia Quinter and we were talking about Six Swords? And one of the things that he said that he used uh, to, to design, I think it was the way that you can choose a language or an accent. So it, I think it's called the method of Loki, which kind of, it uses like a house or something. So people can, because navigating menus through voice can be quite difficult. So I think what you're saying is it uses this concept of a house and you enter the house, it's like a college, and you can turn right if you want a male voice and left if you want a female voice. You can go into the drawing room for males and the wherever for females, or you can go. Um, so if you go like into the drawing room for males, then you can say that he said something like, you know, if you want an elf style voice, then you can go left through to this room. If you want a wizard style voice, you can go right to that room to try and help people picture the house as opposed to picture the options. That sounds like a similar kind of angle that you've gone down for the for the architecture of this is trying to make people think about the type of chocolate and the and the box that it's associated with rather than trying to get them to remember the story. Is that is that does that describe it right? Yeah, in a way I wanted to come up with a with a structure that people could kind of grasp after they've used the skill a few times. So we there are always twelve chocolates in the box. And to get back to kind of this conversation about um, situational design or whatever, I wanted to give people some flexibility since they know there are always 12 chocolates in a in an assortment. They can ask for a candy by, by number. Um, if they don't ask for it by number, then they also know that once they open the box, Alexa, who's sharing the chocolates with them, she'll take them through the candies consecutively one by one, you know, and she'll... Um, ask them if they give them a little hint about what the, what's what's in the chocolate and what's in the story and ask if they want to hear it. And they, if they say yes, then basically they can just like go through the whole box one through 12. They also have the ability to hear what the chocolate's about because maybe the story is not so funny. You know, we, we we're trying to combine different types of stories in there. And if they find out that one of the chocolates is maybe a little bitter, then they have the option of skipping that story. Just like they, you know, they look at a chocolate, they decide they don't want to eat that one, they can move on to the next one. Um, she'll also give you a chance to come back and taste one that you've skipped. So, again, it just makes it easier to kind of navigate. And we've also, in the interaction model, we add the names of the chocolate. So that the, each chocolate has a specific, uh, a unique name. And because each chocolate has a unique name, we can add that to the interaction model so that you can ask for a chocolate and its associated story by its name. So every month we update the interaction model when we publish a new assortment to add those candy names. And again, if somebody's kind of savvy and they've figured out how the skill works, they could go in there and they could ask for that specific story by name. And it doesn't matter like how old the story is. It could be something we published months ago. They could still get right to that story by asking for the for the chocolate name. And I kind of like that idea because like in the tricky genie skill, we have tons and tons and tons of, of scenarios, but you can never ask for a specific one, you know, or go back to it. You just, it basically just serves up what you haven't heard yet. So I wanted to give them that kind of um, navigation possibilities, but, and that that's all kind of in, inside the, the box idea. You mentioned situational design there. 
And I've seen a couple of Twitch videos of Paul Kutzinger um, kind of explaining this and going through this. And, and it, it seems to be very much the way that, that people are approaching it, certainly towards the back end of, of last year and, and trying to move away from the flow chart, tree-based, decision tree kind of model and moving towards you know the situational design. For those that haven't come across it, can you explain a little bit about situational design? and how you've applied think, that. Yeah, I mean, I think the basic concept is that if you think of like a, a phone tree, you know, your typical phone tree where you can, um, you know, press three to go to this department. And once you go to that department, then you have like another decision you have to, are you interested in reservations or are you interested in, um, you know, your, your seat or something. You have to like make a choice and then you go down. So if you really are interested in changing your seat, you may have had to go through a whole bunch of different branches before you could actually get to the part where you can change your seat assignment. Instead of just being able to go in and say, I want to change my seat assignment, you had to, you know, ask for all this other stuff first. Um, so what you're doing in the situational design is you're like turning everything so that it's like horizontal. All your menu options are like listed at the top I'm like in, in, a, in a line and you can just go wherever you want to go. So using the, the, my box of chocolates as an example, if you want to get to a specific store, you can just say, Hey, Alexa, open my box of chocolates and get me the extra sticky caramel truffle. And you'll go right there. Um, there's also, you know, other complexities where if you, if you go to the, if you open the skill and you're, uh, you're a returning user, then right away, the skill has to know what situation are you in. You're a returning user. Um, you haven't opened the latest box of chocolates yet. So I'm going to open the latest box. And I'm going to ask you if you're ready for the, the if you want to hear what's in the assortment and ask you if you want the first one. But if you're, um, if you're a returning user and you've already finished the current box of chocolates and you have some old ones you haven't heard yet, then, then you're in the situation where I'm going to, you know, ask you, would you like to hear a story you haven't heard yet? So all of those situations are kind of like states and you have to know what state that particular user is in. And that information has to be maintained in a certain way. And, um, you know, kind of my challenge is it's really hard to get like tools that help you prototype all that. So, I, you know, creating something as complex as the box of chocolates, even though it sounds like a simple thing, it, it was a major headache just designing that and making sure all the, you know, I didn't have like all these um, repetitive code pieces in there. Also making sure that I was dealing with every possible situation that a user could be in. So um, I'm looking forward to m more tools that will support that kind of complex skill design. What were some of the things that you did or you found useful to to build that in the end? Well, I, um, I did a combination of trying to create the flow in Lucid Charts, but then I would have to go through and I would have to look at every time that I had something repetitive and I ended up by making, you know, modules. So I have like a module for offer next candy and a module for open new assortment and the like offer next candy comes up over and over and over again, but in different situations. But instead of having to, you know, recreate all of that code, you just go to a specific module and, make that module such that it's, um, it works regardless of what situation the person is when, when you're ready to offer them another candy. And then 
with uh, alongside with a lucid chart, um, I did a just a script like a word document where you're actually writing out the the interchange, you know, the, the, what the, per, what Alexa says, what the person says, what Alexa says, what the person says in every possible situation you can think of. And you have multiple, multiple, you know, scripts and then tie those back to what you've got in your flow chart and then test it all out. But it, still, I mean, I, I made so many mistakes in the flow, you know, I had to go back and redesign it multiple times and it, you know, it gets expensive because you're sending it to your developer over again and, and uh, you know, their, their costs associated with that. Hmm. that's interesting that so i'm assuming do you use any kind of like specific tools to to do the design or or is it a case of i don't know powerpoint and post-it notes and and whiteboards and stuff like that is there any any things that you use to to do this or is it is it literally you know like powerpoint word documents and stuff like that how how what sort of tooling do you use to, to go about the design the actual design i relied heavily on the lucid charts but again you know that's a flow charting tool you can't get away from some types of flows uh but for the business logic i call you know the business i call it business logic but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of logical decisions that happen in a skill like that where you're looking at what situation is the user in and based on that situation you do either you know x y or z so you have a lot of decisions in there that have to be um designed out so that I did that in LucidChart, um, and that, that's mainly it, you know, LucidChart and Word for the design. Now, like underpinning the, the content, we use Airtable, a, a, a very complicated form of Airtable to, to manage all the content, the stories, and then the conversational part that go along with the stories, and we put that into DynamoDB. But, but um, the biggest challenge right now is really the, the design part. You know, I, I, when I was at the Alexa conference, I looked to see what Botmock has, and they and they've got really the good beginnings of like a prototyping tool that would help. Um, but but still, I think that some work needs to be done to to come up with a tool that really supports uh, the the full blown situational design where you can, you know, you you can see like at a press of a button all of the different situations that you need to make sure you have accounted for in your design. All right, like in Botmock, you can um, you can create all of your intents, and it will automatically generate your interaction model based on those intents. But it would be really cool if, along with that, you could see all the different situations that were associated with those intents, because that's a different way of looking at it. And that's the part that the more complex skill you have with multiple, you know, situational. Um, multiple situations the user can be in where you need to make sure that's accounted for. Hmm. It does sound like a a complex. <laughs> I'm just trying yes. to wrap my head around it's it. Hard to, yeah, it's hard yeah. to wrap your mind around right? it. Is have you have you had Dustin in terms of the stuff that that you've built? How do you tend to use kind of like a, a flow chart, diagrammy sort of thing, or or do you kind of use this situational design? So what I'll do often is I'll sketch it out. Uh, uh, I won't use a tool necessarily online, uh, but I will sketch it out. I will be also completely honest. I will jump into code uh, often a little bit too quickly. Uh, it does it does come back with some pains uh, when you have to go back and change things and when you find things aren't flowing super well. Uh, but I, I agree. I agree that there's a space for some tooling here to make it easier, especially for those people who aren't 
who aren't going to be able to jump directly into code. And you mentioned this, uh, you mentioned this, Amy, that it's expensive because you have to go back to your developers. So you have then uh, an external developer or a freelancer that you work with. Is that right? Right. And how did you go about or how do you recommend people find a developer if they need someone to build these voice applications? Is it uh, sufficient to go with a developer who hasn't worked in voice before or is it really important that they have that background as well? I personally think it's very important to find somebody that's that's done a lot of a lot of skills that, that you know that knows how to do it. Uh, you know, what a good way is to go to one of these conferences, like the Alexa conference or the upcoming Voice Summit, and just meet people. There, there um, surprisingly are a lot of really good voice skill developers on on the you know on the market that are available right now. Uh, so I would I would recommend trying to find one of those first. Mm. Have you come into any conflicts in terms of people like trying to navigate around the skill? So if you've got everything, so box of chocolates, and we spoke beforehand, didn't we, about the BBC CBBS skill? Um, we had a chat with Paul Jackson. One of the things he was saying is that what they're trying to do is they're trying to put a whole load of stories into one skill and a whole so one half of it is is stories the other half of it's games and they're trying to do a whole load within one skill and 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 from what paul was saying amazon would prefer that people create lots of individual skills um to do this stuff and what paul was saying is he's coming into um challenges where for example if you have an intent that is used in one story and then you want to use that same intent or something very similar in a game there's conflicts there. Have you come across any kind of conflicts like like along those lines? Because you, essentially you're, you're doing the same thing, aren't you? You've got lots and lots of different stories all operating at this high horizontal flat level. Have you come into any any kind of like challenges from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's part of the design. And I think what, what Paul was saying too is discoverability is such an issue that if you have a brand, it's great if you could, you know, if you could have one skill um, like, you know, the guys that do the magic door, they just, you know, they just have one skill and there's a lot of different things within that, but it's, but it's essentially one story world, right? If, if you're creating a, a one like umbrella skill where people can go in to find all your stories, but they're different episodes. And then like, like let's say you have an, an intent that um, cross the bridge, right? But cross the bridge is used in like as a choice in, a, in multiple branching stories. Then there might be a conflict, and you might not know when someone says cross the bridge what you know what story they're talking about. So with the with the box of chocolates, we we tried to deal with that up front by saying, okay, we're the basically the 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 intent is either the name of a candy or a candy number and the, the the candy names are unique across all boxes and then the candy numbers one through 12 um if you just say one through 12 that only works with the current box if you want to if you want to ask for a candy in an older assortment by its number then you have to give the assortment number and the candy number i mean it's kind of a little bit complicated but if you train the users to do that then you you basically don't have any conflict anymore because of because of the design. But it, you know, if the the more stuff you're putting in one skill, you know, the the more the more of an issue there is. And we also we have questions at the end of each story, 
but we the, the answers are always either yes, no, option one, option two, or bitter or sweet. And if someone says bitter or sweet, we know which which question we just ask them. So there's not a conflict in terms of trying to figure out what, you know, what question they answered. We just get them the response for that particular story. So there's, again, there's some constraints that make it a not quite natural conversational experience, but we're trying to work within the constraints of the, of you know, of the model as it exists today. Do you pull in, especially at that top level, do you pull in any personalization or context details to help route those requests? You mean when somebody first comes in and opens the skill or? Right. When So after a story, when you're answering questions, that seems pretty straightforward. You can scope it to, to those questions, right? Right. Uh, however, if they're asking for a story in general, or like you said, they they just had opened the, the skill, maybe not for the first time, but they're coming back to it uh, from before. Are you pulling in anything there? Or let's say we just finished the story and we've finished the questions. Uh, are you leveraging what they've already heard or anything like that to, to help route those requests? Well, the only thing that we're really doing in terms of storing the user data is we, we know exactly where they are, which chocolate stories they've already consumed. And we can, um, if they come back, based on how often they come back, we give them little encouraging statements when they return. And we know, like Alexa might say, uh, when, when they return, hey, it was nice sharing the extra sticky caramel truffle and the the, um, the the prom date praline with you last time you were here. Now you still have 10 candies left in this box. Would you like to uh, open the next candy? So we, you know, we know things like that, but we're not um, we're not doing any account linking at this point in time, and we're not storing their answers to the to the questions and using that to you know to figure out like what kind of question to ask them in the future. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I would like to do, but we're not doing that currently. Have you got any um, in any of the skills, not just necessarily the the uh, chocolate box? Have you done anything any exploration with like in skill purchasing? We have not. So we we looked at doing that for the my box of chocolates. Um, we were pretty heavily encouraged by Amazon to try that. We actually built in different versions of it. We had like we were going to offer some premium candies, so you could you know you could pay a dollar ninety nine or whatever to get three premium chocolates per box. And then we went to like a consumable model. We had some technical difficulties with that, um, both the premium and the consumable. It's hard to remember which box they've bought the those candies for. If you have like a whole bunch of boxes, the problem comes if somebody disables your skill and then you lose that information. So we went with, um, finally, we went with a subscription model, which seems to work. So the idea was that you could have half the chocolates for, for free. And then if you were a member of the chocolate club and you subscribed, you would get the whole box every month. But... You know, we, we ended up not going with that. We just sort of turned it off for now because, number one, we don't really have an audience for the chocolate stories yet. We don't even know, like, who's going to like them. Um, we're trying to, you know, get authors to provide stories for us that we can use in the chocolates to give the authors some, you know, some promotion, let people hear their stories. So we don't want to exclude people from hearing the stories. And then, number two, if you did the monetization at this point, it limited where you could um, publish the skill, right? And I really wanted this to be available in Canada and the UK, you know, other English speaking markets. So we decided to just kind of wait, try it out, see what happens, and then maybe add the subscriptions later. 
to me where Amazon could, not that they need to do this, by the way, because I've seen a slide uh, before that said that essentially, let's say that if you're, we've got a screen in front of us, let's say that that screen represents the size of Amazon. You could fit Walmart and Target and Tesco's and all of the massive retailers into like the bottom quarter. <laughs> so Amazon obviously doesn't need to do anything in particular. But for, for this in particular skill, what could be quite good is in-skill purchases or some form of transaction where if someone gets to the end of a box of chocolates, they can, you know, get 50% off a box of chocolates bought through Amazon. You get a little kickback for sending the traffic their way and Amazon handle all the deliveries. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Amazon, so, Amazon could probably do it. You know, if anybody could, it would be Amazon. Yeah. That's maybe maybe that's maybe that's a, an idea for for an incentive for Amazon is to at the end of someone's skill, like at the end of someone's experience, you know, find a way of referring yeah. them to some sort of product and 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 uh, give the developer a kickback. I like it. <laughs> what what advice would you give to um, to either would be uh, storytellers or, or creatives or writers wanting to kind of approach um, the the voice kind of space, or at the same time either hobbyist developers or people who are wanting to kind of get the sleeves rolled up and figure out what Alexa is all about in twenty nineteen? What what advice would you give across the board for designers, creatives, and, and developers? Well, if you're especially if you're in the storytelling. Um, space, you know, you could try out the blueprints first. There's a lot of really good blueprints for stories just to kind of see what works, what, you know, what you like, what you don't like. I'd also say definitely go in and listen to what other people are doing. Look at some of the the top story skills that are out there. Many of them are that like choose your own adventure type thing, the branching, you know, nonlinear stories. Um, me personally, I'm not a huge fan of that particular type of storytelling, but look at the ones that that are working, I think part, you know, it's, it's a little problematic because if you go in that realm, there are already some, some pretty big dollars being spent on that type of thing. Um, that, you know, high production costs with human narrators, sound effects, studio, all that. So it's kind of hard to compete as just a hobby storyteller, but I would, I would listen to them, see, you know, what, what you like and kind of do what I'm doing, which is just follow the path that you feel, you know, most comfortable with it you're writing stuff, the kind of thing that you would want to listen to, things that you enjoy and, and, you know, manage your expectations. I don't think anybody's going to get rich off of this in the next couple of years. I think we're still trying to figure it out, but as long as you, um, as you're enjoying it. And then I guess my, my biggest advice would be think about what you're doing. And if you're really serious about it, make sure that you're creating a model where you can update your content very frequently Right. I mean, the tricky genie skill has been out there since 2016, but I regularly add new episodes. So that's, you know, that's part of the just the care and feeding of making it um, appealable for appealing for people to to come to come back to. That's kind of the concept behind the box of chocolates was we were going to have new content every month and we were going to try to source that from from outside authors. So if you're in the storytelling market, if you just do like one episode and you're not going to continue to put new content in there I don't, I don't think it's it makes a whole lot of sense frankly you said so we've spoke about about you doing the design and then and then using a developer to do the build but then now you say that actually you add stuff and you maintain stuff 
what is, how does that look like? Are you, are you hopping into the code to do these updates or are you using a tool like a content management system of some description to, to maintain and, and improve and iterate these, these skills? Yeah, so from the very beginning, Tellables has had its own content management system. So that's like key to what we're doing. So I, so, so me as the, as the, the author, I can just go into a, you know, a web UI and I can, I can add the content and then I can publish it and it gets into the, the live skill automatically with no, with no coding. The, you know, the only difference with the chocolate skill is that I need to update the interaction model every month because I'm adding those, the, the chocolate names, the names of the candies. But other than that, I, I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to, um, resubmit the skill at all because the content is just goes into the is you know available in the server and is this through Airtable like you were mentioning earlier the chocolate skill right now is through Airtable because we had kind of more of a complex design um the the, the all the other ones that the tricky genie fake history listening comprehension those ones are our original uh content management system that was developed my, by my uh, co-founder who I worked with at NASA. And that's kind of a Java-based thing on the back end. And it's just a web UI for me. It's really nice. I'm kind of hoping that we can do a web UI like that for, um, for the chocolates because moving stuff from Airtable to DynamoDB is it's kind of a pain. We're, you know, it's sort of a manual step right now. And why, uh, so why are you sending it from Airtable to DynamoDB? What are the benefits that come with that uh, sort of movement step? Well, the Dyna, in DynamoDB, we have it structured like more of a document type of table so that when the developer goes to get it, he can just like pull it over once and he's not, you know, like hitting it multiple times. Um, we have it structured based on like, data sets within Airtable, it's much more of a relational design. Um, but Airtable does have a kind of a UI component that's easier for me to go in and like, you know, put the SSML with all in all those long text fields and the comments and all that kind of stuff. So Airtable is sort of like for me, the DynamoDB design is, is better from a developer standpoint to go to go grab the content. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Airtable. You're not the first uh, Alexa builder, voice builder, uh, who has told me that they use Airtable for this. Even some devs who can easily go in and edit the the code, edit the content right within there, they find that being able to just go within Airtable and, and add it right there just speeds up the process so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it because I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted the design of the skill to look like in terms of the type of content that I would need to make dynamic. I mean, some of, you know, very little bit of the content is obviously it's hard coded. Some of the things Alexa says are hard coded, but most of the stuff is dynamic. But again, I didn't know what the structure would be. So if you are still kind of playing around with things, it's nice to, to do it in Airtable rather than having to, you know, like code something from scratch. Um, but once the design gets, gets more, stable, I think it'd be nice to have like a, a web UI that's a more traditional web UI. Hmm. At least that, that's my, you know, perspective as a content creator. <laughs> I don't really like using Airtable long term. So what is Airtable? I've never come across Airtable before. It's just, it's an online um, relational database that that's free to use 
in a certain tier and then you can just add your own, you know, fields and rows and create your tables. And so we have for, for each box of chocolates, we have multiple multiple tables and what's one called one air table base. We have, you know, like a, a table for the assortment description. We have a table for all the candies. We have a table for the comments. We have a table for the questions and the answers and all that just goes together. And then we shove it over and like in a document format to our almost like a JSON format, really, you know, in, into DynamoDB. And then we can access all that from the, from the Alexa skill code. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I mean, and again, it's, I don't think it's like, it, it's not hugely scalable um, if you're creating a lot of complex content, but for what we're doing, which is really heavy storytelling stuff, it, it's nice. I mean, I, I had considered doing something in, in WordPress or whatever, but, but Airtable is just much easier to use. I mean, I was able to set that up on my own. Cool. I've put, I'll put the links down there in, in the show notes for that if people want to want to check it out. Uh, Dustin, any final thoughts or any final questions for Amy? No, I think this was a really great insight and really appreciate you coming and speak with, speaking with us, Amy. Yeah, that no, was great. Thanks for thanks for chatting. I, I, I've always enjoyed your, uh, your podcast because I like the fact that you get down into the nitty gritty. So hopefully this will help some other people. <laughs> Indeed, I'm sure it will. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've managed to do that as, again today. I think we've got into some real detail there. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I think definitely for those people listening, check out um, check out Tellables, check out Chocolate Box, and also check out uh, anything you can find on Situational Design. Maybe I'll try and put that link from from Paul Kutzinger, um from Twitch in the show notes as well because it is uh, it's well worth checking out. Um, so, Amy, where can people either? Well, I'll put the links to the uh, to all of the the skills that we've discussed in the show notes so if you want to try any of Tellable's skills and any of Amy's skills you can just go ahead to the, the, the show notes and find them there but where can people find you if they wanted to follow your journey or, or kind of reach out to you uh, online yeah so you can check out uh, the website at tellables.com my twitter handle is kind of weird it's talks to bots with the number two um, that's basically it I think cool We'll put the, the links in the show notes. And Amy, thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Kane and Dustin. I really appreciate it. That was Amy Stapleton of Tellables. Thank you, Amy, for joining us on the podcast. Interesting discussion, that. I know we kind of jumped around a little bit and we talked about tooling and we got back around to tooling again towards the end, but I think there was just so much to get through. Um, I've been really interested in picking Amy's brains for a while. As I said, I think I'm pretty sure Tellables is one of the first companies I followed on Twitter when I first started getting involved in, in voice. So I'm, I'm so glad to finally get the opportunity to, to pick Amy's brains on, on how she's approaching this because we come across some really interesting challenges throughout that episode and the answers to which haven't yet been fully found. So one is on the design side. How do you actually go about designing these flat skills that don't rely on the flowchart kind of menu structure that we typically see in in the IVR systems of uh, of the, the 90s and whatnot? In fact, they still exist. They're still around now, aren't they? Um, so there's interesting design uh, challenges there around how do you actually design it in the first place and, and what tooling do you use to do that which was another challenge is, is, is around the tooling uh, and maybe this is the time on the hype cycle we might be coming down that first kind of bell curve of the hype cycle and we're realising now what kind of tools we need to really build these kind of experiences so it's interesting to, to get deep into those challenges and also from a technical perspective 
how do you then make sure that you, because you've got such a wealth of content, how do you make sure that you're not um, duplicating intents and phrases and not getting crossed wires and all that kind of stuff? Um, so it's interesting to, to take some learnings from Paul Jackson uh, of the BBC in there as well. And it's nice to see that that, that kind of thing has uh, has been um, you know been applicable. Um, interesting choice design choice to use the text-to-speech voices and to really kind of throw everything behind that do check out the skill because there's a lot of different types of voices there and amy mentioned that some people don't particularly like it or might not like it i think it's it's using the tools that were in the platform at the beginning i suppose so it's kind of like it's it's sticking to the true nature of the smart speaker which i quite like because it's you know amy was mentioning a lot of other skills and a lot of interactive stories and having a high production value and and you know warner brothers and stuff like that have plowed a load of money into it but i do like i think that you can get away with being more creative and then you can, you can really sort of stretch yourself when you're working within a certain tool set and that's exactly what Amy has done with the uh, the box of chocolate skill, so do check it out. Um, yeah, thank you, Amy, for joining us. Thank you, Dustin, for joining us as well. And as always, boys and girls, thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later. Bye.